0: Hey everyone, welcome to season two of The Total BS Show. I am super excited uh, to launch this series for season two. We have a lot of great guests that are already lined up for the season. We actually have uh, some national brands as well as some local entrepreneurs throughout the country. So uh, just, just super blessed that we had the chance for our first episode of season two to interview Carol Roth. If you guys have not heard of Carol Roth, which if you're in business, or if you've seen any type of TV in the last 10 years, you've probably heard of Carol Roth. Uh, she is a dynamite business speaker, consultant, advocate, and financier. So. I couldn't have asked for a better person to launch season two with. I hope you enjoy this. I uh, will play a little video for you to get to know her a little bit more. And uh, let's launch season two. Talk Doing to you soon.
1: business with new technology has never been easier next on Microsoft's Accelerate Your Business show live from New York City. Are you feeling calm, Shaq? Do you, do you feel well rested now? Pretty good, I like it. Coming up on the next Office Small Business Academy, the death of the cold call, we explore social selling, using social networks to grow sales. I've never turned down jewelry before, so why would I start now? <laughs> I, 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 I love <laughs> one thing, you know, I'm a numbers gal. Okay. So we, before we jump further, I need to know, I mean, you're telling me this is the same thing I'm getting in a Fortune 50 company. Yep. For our panel, Sir Richard Branson, Kathy Ho, Sean Rad, and Miguel McKelvey. Oh, Continue. and you thank you, Richard. Can the commissioner Roger Goodell survive this latest scandal? Well, first I would like to say if the NFL is looking for a new commissioner, I'm available. Call me, very qualified, and the NFL already follows me on Twitter.
0: Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of the Total BS Show. So the Total BS Show stands for Business Total Business Spotlight. Uh, where we are designed to really help small businesses learn by bringing in either small business owners themselves who have had some experience and can help you kind of guide yourself on the path to uh, expediting your, your journey, or bringing in experts, bringing in people who know what they're doing, who've done it many times and help people along the way. And one of the people that I said this season I have to have is Carol Roth. For those people that don't know Carol Roth, and if you're a business person, I don't know who you are that doesn't know who she is. Let me give you some details of who this person is. Wharton School of Graduate, Magnum uh, Cum Laude. She was the, she's a the founder of Future File, which is uh, easy, comprehensive, uh, wish planning for, uh, I believe funeral homes, uh, for when you're going through a funeral. Uh, the future file system helps people organize their wishes and information and then creates a roadmap for their loved ones to follow in case of uh, dementia, Alzheimer's, medical issues or upon death. She's on the board of directors of a ton of different companies. For example, she's been on the board of directors of TravelZoo. she's an advisory board member of hedge funds. Um, she has CarolRoth.com, which her blog if you have a chance, and you are a small business owner, you have to go to carolroth.com to read articles of other small business owners, their journey, their stories, and she brings them all together for you. Not only that, she's a best-selling author of The Entrepreneur Equation. Um, She is regularly named one of the top industry influencers by Small Business Trends. I mean, oh my God, the list goes on. On Air Talent, she's on Fox News, fox business cnbc she's a judge on tv on the tbs show uh she hosts the roth effect podcast and by god she has her own action figure with which i think last time i met you i said can i get one and you said no but that's okay hopefully this time i might be able to get one um so in meeting in in meeting her years ago uh she is a chicago native she's a no-nonsense in-your-face real talk straightforward business owner and, and business advisors. So she is somebody that said, you know what, if I'm gonna step up my game for season two, she's somebody I have to have on the show. And so I was, I was very blessed that I reached out to you. You said, let's, let's do it. But there's only one rule that we have. And, and I think we both kind of agree, we don't hold punches. So <laughs> uh, we, are, by, we are- That's got,
1: my brand and I, by the way, I'm exhausted in listening to all of those things. I need to go I take know. a nap now.
0: That's all right, you've done a lot and you're still going. So, so we're not gonna hold punches. It's 2021. We've all been through nine months of COVID. We've scrapped, we've clawed, we've fought our way through the, uh, and dragged ourselves over the finish line of 2020. And now it's time to double down for 2021. Uh, some people, like I said, drag themselves down. Some people sprinted hard. And so now it's a time to reevaluate, get things going and, and really have a candid interview of what it takes to be a small business owner, not only in the Chicagoland area, but also across the country, because hopefully this thing can pick up everywhere. So let's get right into it. Carol, uh, when you work with small business owners all over the country, a lot of the people who listen to this or might be watching this are really like new entrepreneurs. So they're trying to figure things out. From your experience, what are some of the things that every small business owner needs to uh, gameplay for?
1: So I think one of the biggest issues that I've encountered from small business owners, and this goes for brand new small business owners, and sometimes it goes for business owners who've been around for multiple decades, is what am I doing and why am I doing it? I I mean, this sounds so bizarre and so just fundamental, uh, but a lot of people go into business because they have a passion, because they really like to do some aspect, whether it was a you know baking cupcakes or uh, engaging with people. But they didn't really have a plan for what they wanted to do for their business. Like, what are, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? outside of just servicing that customer making that product from a business standpoint and so really uh, setting something up to understand your how and your why is critical because if you don't do that what ends up happening is that you end up with a job or a job business instead of a business that builds equity and by goodness, we knew it before 2020. We definitely know it now. Small business owners risk so much to go into business. It's so challenging. There's time, there's money, there's you know just your soul in the business. It's who you are. And so you want to um, really be thinking about building up something of value that is apart from just yourself. Because in moments like today, when you get burnt out or maybe eventually want to retire, it's important to have that something that you built. Otherwise, you've just created a job for yourself with a lot more
0: stress. So, I mean, you've coined the phrase jobby. Uh, So there's a ton of small business owners who are kind of dipping their toes into the water of entrepreneurship. So it's very timid. They're very timid to really go after it. So while I always like the philosophy of no one likes to hire a skinny salesperson, you've kind of coined the, the phrase jobby. So can you tell me a little bit about what a jobby means and then the progression of the, the, of the small business owner journey?
1: Yeah, so the jobby is sort of that first step. It's the hobby that's disguised or a job or a business. And in and of itself, there is absolutely nothing wrong with a job. A job is a great way to test out a business idea to see if it's viable. Um, It's also great to have hobbies that make money versus ones that suck up all of your money, like golf. Uh, So it's a good first step in the process. But the problem is a lot of people get stuck in this sort of kind of hobby, not really serious kind of business. Um, And that's when... Sometimes people decide that they want to make the leave, go more full time, or make it a little bit more professionalized. And then we get to that job business that I was just talking about, where you've created something that looks and smells a little bit like a business. But the reality is, if you are not there every day, the business isn't making money. The client only wants to work with you. They don't want to work with your underlings, or maybe you don't even have any underlings. If you go on vacation for two weeks, the business is not producing any revenue. And so therefore, if you ever do want to retire or sell the business, there's nothing really that you have of value that you have built up equity in. And obviously not every small business owner goes into business to build up equity, but uh, you know if you're gonna bother doing it, and from a risk and reward standpoint, that really helps the reward side of the equation if you can think about building up equity. And I think that especially uh, after this year, we're seeing how important that is. So that's where you need to really be thinking about how you can scale the business, make it run without you doing every single thing, which is hard for a lot of entrepreneurs who like to do things their way, and start creating something that has value that stands apart from you.
0: So I, and then you, you, you had the progression of the solopreneur, which we've talked about before in the past and in, in our, in our conversations where it's you basically doing all the work yourself, you can't go on vacation. Cause as soon as you go off on vacation, the income's not coming in. Um, can you tell me a little bit of why you think most people are stuck in being the solopreneurs?
1: So I think that people who go into entrepreneurship are often, uh, people who are very smart And smart people don't make the best entrepreneurs because the best entrepreneurs are those who make things so easy that a monkey can be trained to do it and it can work in every single way versus you having to be the best at everything. So if you are a perfectionist and you're pursuing perfection and having everything done your way, you don't make any progress. So there's this, you know, constant struggle um, for smart people being successful in entrepreneurship. You know, uh, Bill Gates actually, I think, had a quote about this that he said he'd rather hire a lazy person uh, because they'll find out a quick and easy way to get something <laughs> done <laughs> versus the people who are really smart who want to make everything super complicated and, and perfect. And so there's always, as an entrepreneur, putting your own sort of ego and you know sta- standards to some extent obviously it still has to be good enough that you feel good about putting your name on it and that the customer finds value in it but it maybe means going out with a product or with a software or with a service that doesn't have 95 bells and whistles which by the way is great because it gives you the opportunity to upsell those new additions you know once you get people hooked on the base version instead of waiting till you get everything in there, and then it's obsolete anyway. So, so a lot of it is just personal and shifting your mindset, which is a really difficult thing to do. I'm one of those people, um, so I get it. <laughs> but it's one of those things that you have to move past in your entrepreneurial journey if you do want to make sure that you're not just the only person that matters in your business.
0: Well, uh, you said two things that are kind of impacted me a little bit. So perfectionism is, it's, you know, one of the, I don't get that as, as someone that's more of a doer and I just fly by the seat of my pants. And maybe that's why I, I've kind of been a little bit successful is the thought logic that you're the only person in the world who could possibly do that task or job. And you're the only one that can do it, no matter how big or small the task is, you have to be the one that does it. I mean. How much does perfectionism get in the way of being a business owner? I mean, it's, it's something where I feel like that's nine times out of 10 of, 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 of faults is I, they, they're stuck from being the solopreneur. They can't think of the thought process to then hire someone to do the task.
1: Yeah, it's, it's how shall I say this? A lot of times it's not thinking that you're the only person who could do it in the universe. It's that you don't want to pay (laughs) for the other people in the universe who probably could do it in a similar manner that you do. So the person who you are paying doesn't do it in the same way that you do it. So sometimes it's not even as well as you do it. It's just not the way that I would do it and not being able to recognize that that's okay. Or even if it's not as good as you do it and you do it better that if it still serves the customer and serves the main purpose um that that's okay it it is that pursuit of progress over profession perfection and it's such a huge sticking point for entrepreneurs and and like i said one of the things that we do in, in our business is every single year two times a year i sit down with the team and at every level say like what are you doing with your time And is this time well spent, meaning at your pay level and your capability level, like is this task really something you should be focusing on or do you need to be focusing on better use of your time types of tasks and we find somebody else to bring it in? And I'll tell you, even... um, you know, at different levels in the business, sometimes it's hard because there are a lot of people who do have that sort of control freak nature and know I can do everything and, and I can manage it. But the reality is you can't and the business doesn't progress if everybody's not being used at their highest potential level. Um, and again, there are growing pains and not, not everybody's going to get things done the right way but like a really good resource for people that I always recommend and I actually wrote my book as sort of a prequel to it it's called *The E Myth Revisited* by Michael E. Gerber. It is uh, an entrepreneur's Bible of scalability, and he makes the point that you want to train for the lowest common denominator, not the highest common denominators. In those businesses, if you think of McDonald's, you know they create a procedure not so you know the the road scholars of the universe can do there, but the people who are just entering the workforce. And again, not to put down anyone who works at McDonald's, but. A lot of times that is the a first job is going in and, and learning these things. And so it has to be so easy that anyone can do it. Um, and then the other thing is technology. I mean, this is another conversation that we have in that same conversation about best use. Are there things that you can be doing that we can automate or use technology? Um, I have one part of my business that's you know, very heavily involved in customer service. So it's constantly staying on top of things like bots and AI and customer self-service to figure out where customers can really answer the questions themselves or where we can you know, kind of group together. Hey, 90% of our stuff is coming in around this. How can we fix that? Uh, just to clarify and streamline procedures. So, you know, where are you spending your time? Is it the best use of time? And where can you use technology to supplement and, you know, help you to scale? I think those are two really important questions. And everybody in the organization, whether it's you know, two people or 200 people, you should be asking them that at least twice a year.
0: So one of the things that, uh, and I totally agree with you on that, is, 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 when I work with small business owners for Prime Media Consulting, you know, it's 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 always talking to them about how are they marketing and promoting themselves. And they maybe they have something that's kind of they're they're wanting to launch, but they haven't figured it out yet. Or um they've just they're just very timid. And because they want everything to be perfect, it's that perfectionism bubble, or at least I don't want to look bad if I launch it. And the one thing I always challenge them is, is something I learned a, a long time ago and I honestly forget where it came from, but it's, you need to find your MVP, your minimum viable product. What's the thing that's gonna launch and, and you can always build upon it because if you are looking for the perfect system, you're never gonna find it because there's always gonna be tweaks and edits. You're always gonna find, you just want something that people can grasp the concept behind and then, okay, let's add on to it as time goes on. Because if you don't, you're always just gonna be tinkering with something that's never gonna come into fruition.
1: Yeah, I mean, just think about the tools that you use, whether it's you know the Microsoft Office suite of products, whether it's constant contact for your email, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or whatever it is that you're using on a regular basis. And think about what the versions were like 10 years ago. And that's the whole focus of their companies. So, you know, you get people into the system and, and here's the great thing. If people love what you're doing, but it's not hundred percent perfect for them. Like they'll tell you, which is great because sometimes you think, you know what it is that the customers want and it's actually not what they want. In fact, they don't even know what they want until they start using it. And then they go, Oh, okay. And they give you that feedback and then you can react real time. So it is really important. Like you say, to, to have that MVP, that you know, the question to ask yourself is, does this deliver value to the customer? If it delivers value to them, even if it's not the level of value you want, even if it's not you know, every bell and whistle, like does it deliver value to them? If so, get it in their hands and then, like you said, continue to tinker, continue to work, continue to push out updates and, uh, and move forward and, and have that progress
0: how many people love the idea of Oreos or Monopoly or other different things out there that they're like, oh, this would be fantastic. And because they couldn't figure it out or they couldn't make it perfect, they never were able to do it. And that's something that I learned from, uh, I think it was Gary V from a video that he did a while ago is if you really wanna see uh, what your life could have been like, go to a nursing home, go to somebody that's experienced life and talk to them for an hour Or two hours of things they wish they would have done and 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 if you can if you do that you realize what the hell am I waiting for like time is gonna go by regardless of 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 your day like might as well start doing something that you love
1: well and not only that I think the idea versus execution um proposition is one that people really don't spend enough time on. You know, they spend so much time thinking about and refining an idea. And as you know, we just mentioned, a lot of times the original idea you have is something you have to pivot from. You think about like an Airbnb, their original idea was for you to like sleep on couches and in people's like extra bedrooms in their house while they were there. And, uh, you know, they went through some different iterations and it was actually one of their investors who said, well, what about this concept of, you know, actually just running out your house when you're not there? And they weren't at first interested, but they were running out of money and they had no other choice to either pivot or go out of business. And they made that pivot and now look at where the company is today. So a lot of people get caught up in like, is this a good idea? Is it, like just put something out there, get feedback. Um, There's a saying about, there are a whole slew of sayings about failure. The one that I like is that you fail fast, you fail cheaply, and you never fail the same way twice. And if you use that to continue to execute on whatever idea or set of ideas, um, that's going to keep you moving forward because failure does not stop a person. It's part of a process. If you're never failing, then you're not reaching far enough and big enough. But if you're spending so much time and so much effort and, and, and so many resources that it has to go right because you have six or seven you know, figures invested in this thing and it doesn't go right, then you know A, you're screwed and the risk reward uh, proposition is completely out of whack. So fail fast, fail cheaply, and learn your lesson. Don't do it again once you've figured out why it went wrong.
0: I feel like, you know, we we all have these slogans, we all watch, read these memes, or there's all these great quotes out there um, that we learn from other people. And can you tell me a little bit about getting advice from other people? And uh, maybe that small business owners or people that you've looked up to in the past, how do you know or figure out Who to listen to and what is just kind of noise or some person's opinion that it's good to hear but thanks for the advice I'm going to go a different direction.
1: Wow, that's a fantastic question. Um, Advice is one of those things like you said everybody has but it's not necessarily always valuable. And at the end of the day, there also aren't necessarily right answers. There are different paths with different outcomes and different risk propositions based on your goals. So talking to people should be to gather information and get different perspectives, not to have somebody make the answer for you. Um, The best people to ask advice are people who have skin in the game. So if you have uh, professional investors, for example, who are incentivized to see see you succeed and their dollars are on the line, that's a really good person to ask advice. Um, You know, your in-law who knows nothing about anything and just has lots of opinions and likes you is not necessarily a good person to ask for advice. Um, So even people with great track records, if they don't have skin in the game, a lot of people, you know, can't see in front of them. A lot of people can't self-reflect. A lot of people have gotten lucky (laughs) and can't uh, determine that, you know, they they know certain things, but they don't know what they don't know. Um but I think you know you need to kind of look at, at the person's track record and you know and how much skin they have in the game. And you also need to ask the right questions. you know, the best advice is you know asking a specific scenario and getting somebody to comment on it. I think too many people um, are vague or you know want someone to make an answer for them. but like I'm considering X, y, and Z, and you know, here's, my concern about X, and here's my concern about Y, and here's my concern about Z, here's what I'm trying to accomplish. What do you think about that is a lot going to give you a lot more clarity than like, hey, what should I do with my life? What what kind of a business
0: should I start? I think uh, all those are fantastic. One thing that I would probably add to that is be careful who you talk to. because. If you go out there asking all these different questions, because you want to crowdsource answers, there's going to be some people that you get responses from that have skin in the game somewhere else.
1: Mm,
0: good point. And, and they might want to thwart your efforts because it, it might impact someone else or impact them. I'm
1: going to say a horrible thing to add on to that is that like human nature is human nature and people are really jealous of other people's success too and so even if they don't have skin in the game other places there are a lot of people who you might think like you who don't want to see you succeed they might not even know it but like their their gut like you know puts this stuff out there and and creates this this doubt um just because they have a scarcity mindset instead of an abundance mindset
0: I read something the other day that grabbed me. It was uh, some people's only chance of success is taking a bite out of yours. Brutal. Mm, and so it's it's interesting to see um, how people are like really really evolving as a business owner. We we really have gone through some craziness of of people that were the jobbies and they become the solopreneur. How do you know when you've actually hit a bona fide business ownership? <laughs> Can you go on
1: vacation for two weeks and the business still runs? If you did, if you can do that, congratulations.
0: <laughs> simple as that.
1: Pretty much. All right. so it's a simple test. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, there, there are a whole slew of things you can do afterwards. But like, if you can go away, you can step aside from the business and the business still runs and is, is making generating revenue, like you're,
0: you're doing the right things. So when I, when I first met you. Uh, it was, years ago, it was, uh, we were at a, an event where we had Google, Yelp, uh, Barry Moltz, and you were panel speakers. And you were talking about the change in internet and the change of how things are going. And and this was right after the the financial downfall. We were kind of coming back up during the recovery. Um, and, and now we're going through, we've been going through for the past nine months, the pandemic. So are there any correlations that you can see from 2008 2009 and this pandemic when it comes to how a small business owner needs to recover how they need to go after it and how they and how they should protect themselves
1: well on the protection side certainly you should always uh, plan for and expect the worst because there's going to be a downturn obviously the Great Recession was a systemic issue and was a business cycle issue. Um, This one I call a government black swan. It was a panic reaction um, that (laughs) nearly nobody could have anticipated. And it's why you've seen um, sort of a a different level of recovery and sort of impact in different parts of the economy and why the stock market, you know, in, in November, Hits new highs for the Nasdaq and the S and P five hundred, while small businesses are going out of business. So uh, always prepare for the worst, um, and you know that's even in the in the best of times. Just know that that's around the corner. I think in terms of recovery, again, this is a, a very different scenario um, because you know, it depends on who you are, what kind of business you have who you are servicing. If you're a small business that's in the services sector and you're, you're servicing people whose jobs um, also are related to small business, that's a very different scenario than if you are a luxury brand, if you're a technology company, uh, if you're you somebody who doesn't have a storefront. So this is really uh, a tale of different recoveries. I keep calling it like an E-shaped recovery. So I don't know if this is backwards or not, but like if you think about the letter E or you know something that's um, with a W on its side, but you have like a, you know, the people who are doing well you have the people who are going to continue to plot along and then you have the people where it's going to be a long slug. So obviously, if you are in this bottom arena, I think there are a number of things you need to think about. One is, are you in the right business? I mean, there have been a number of people who've been talking to me about, should I go into bricks and mortar because rents are so cheap now? And the answer is, unless you can give me a really compelling reason why, no. I didn't think you should before and I certainly um, think less likely that that's a good idea now. So um, you should really be thinking about is there a way to move your business out of that space Um, literally and figuratively And for those of you who may be stuck within that, you know, how can you take parts of your business and make that mobile? And obviously a lot of companies have already done that. Uh, Restaurants are doing delivery. People who do hair are like my colorist sells me the color and like a whole package (laughs) and instructions and I go pick it up and I'm doing it myself now. Um, Not nearly as well as her, but you know, it's still keeping her in business because I can't go there to, to get my color done. Um, so it's it's those tweaks that, you know, if, if you haven't made them now, you're probably in a different place. They probably made some of those. But you how do you want to continue on that trajectory going forward? And are there things that you can be adding into your service offering whether it's some sort of a subscription program or it's products if you, add, if you offer services or places where you can collaborate with other businesses to cross sell and, and move forward um, that I think are, are most meaningful for people in that bottom tier. And I think there, you know, there's also a, hey, this isn't a viable business. This has been shoved in my face now and maybe I need to take a step back and reconsider and that's okay too. You don't need to move forward on something just because you have that investment in it. If it's, it's got, gotten in your face that like I've done the math and this isn't going to be viable and I know what this is going to look like three years from now. And you know that today, you're not obligated to continue on that path for three years. And I know it's a hard thing to do and it's a gut-wrenching thing to do, but throwing good money and time and effort and energy after bad, after a sunk cost, uh, is a bad investment strategy, both in the stock market as well as for entrepreneurs.
0: I feel like, and I don't know if you agree with this, is that this is actually, in my opinion, it's worse than, than 2008. Because at least oh, in sorry. 2008, in 2008 2009 you could at least have your entrepreneurial spirit and yes the world was kind of caving in and you can go out there and you could hustle and you could make it happen never in our history and that i can recall have we ever had a government say you ke- we're going to do all that and no you can't go out and do things yeah so you are you are literally shackled to innovate and the problem with small business owners is that they're so used to the the regimen and the idea of of going after small incremental growth innovation is not really in a lot of business owners mindsets yeah and and so the hardest part as as someone who owns a digital marketing company is to be like okay we need to think differently guys you know who who all the people that might have gone to networking events or they pass out business cards and it was a game of of who can get the most cards and and who can shake the most hands and all those great things. Uh, I've been saying for a year or two now, you need to figure out other different ways. Not that this was not like I was chicken little, I knew the sky was falling, but the idea is you have to always have an alternative. If one way is not working anymore, you should be having two or three other things in the fire, other logs in the fire that's working for you. And what happened was in March, a lot of business owners went into, I don't know what to do anymore. I'm, I'm, everything I've done is now done. I have to restart everything. And not only that, I have to restart things 9, 10, 11 months down the road. That's ridiculous. And I feel like, uh, a, a, what, what would you say to a small business owner right now that's like, how do I, re- how do I, re- it's, it's 2021 now. How do I really go after the marketplace?
1: So before I answer that question, I just wanna say one thing, You know, if you're a small business owner and the government has said that you need to close your business for the good of society, that is eminent domain and you should be compensated under eminent domain. And I'd find a sympathetic attorney and I would sue your local jurisdiction for appropriate compensation. Because that is unconstitutional. They can They cannot take your business for public use without compensating you. All right. So now that I've said that, uh, how do you Pull go? No punches.
0: Pull no punches. No
1: punches. No punches. Get get the lawsuits going. Uh, and I'll and if you send me a note, I will support you on social media in any other way that I can, because it's disgusting and, like you said, unprecedented and unconstitutional. Now, how do you go after the market? Again, this is highly just dependent on what kind of business. One of the, the, the great things about being somebody who is you know, a domain expert in small business is I actually understand the complexity of what it means to be small business. And that is so huge. There are so many different structures, sizes, geographies, industries, focuses, products versus services. Everybody is going to be in a unique position so I could give much better advice in specific scenarios, but my sort of macro advice for all scenarios is, okay, If you, there, there are a couple of different low-hanging fruit paths. The lowest hanging fruit for any business is who is my customer base, why do they like doing business with us, and what else do they need? If you are, have a customer who loves you, And who you've serviced well, you should be able to sell them a whole slew of other things. And you should be able, particularly this time when people are real sympathetic, to get them to help put you in front of other uh, potential customers and clients. So, the most important thing anyone, and this is by the way, always the case, but especially the case right now, is to start with your existing customers. It's just, you know you're a digital marketing person, so much easier to have that conversation with somebody who knows, likes, and trusts you than somebody who has no idea who you are. No matter how many tools we have, people's you know, minds are a little frazzled right now, so start with the people who like you. Then on top of the people who are like like you, because um, again, depending on who your, your customer base is, the people who like you may be out of work and struggling right now. I and mean, it's a really serious time. And there's still almost 10 million people out of business incrementally, or somebody out of work incrementally than there were in March when all the shutdowns started. So then it's who is going to thrive in the future, what kinds of businesses and customers are not affected by this are actually thriving and benefiting from what's happening and how do i service them and you know if you're in a place where you're going to rejigger your business and you have like a magic wand or you have like an open set of options my advice to everybody is to be the guy or the gal who sells the picks and shovels (laughs) you don't want to be the gold prospector If you are the person, if you're risk managing risk, if you're selling the picks and shovels to all the different prospectors for golds, then you're gonna be in a much better position because it kind of doesn't matter who wins. You know some percentage of them are gonna win. And if you're in business with all of them, you'll be along with the people who win. If you're the person who's prospecting, yeah, maybe you have a little bit more upside, but you got a lot of possible downside as well. So go be thinking with your team and your advisors and your investors and, you know, yourself and your mentor and your multiple personalities, whoever, you know, what can I do to be the guy or the gal who sells the picks and shovels? How do I change my business? What can I offer um, you know, even if you're a service provider, is there a software that, that you can offer is there, you know, some other additional service that you can tack on that's recurring where you become that picks and shovels kind of provider um, in some way, shape or form. And I think that that's you know, the advice, again yeah, that I would have given before, but it's, it's where, where we stand now, I think it's even more important that business owners become laser focused on
0: that? So one of the things that um, we did about a year and a half ago was we started a, our own kind of version of a networking group. And uh, the concept was, I mean, it's just like every other networking. And we just, we did it virtually. It's, it's a bunch of small business owners getting together to help refer and support each other's businesses as most people do. Right. So uh, two of these guys decided uh, that one's an insurance agent, one's a roofer. And they're like, well, I like how you do something here. I like how you do something here. Let's start a business together. So they started a gutter cleaning business in Chicagoland. And um, one of the ideas was how do we charge? And I know, once I kind of get through this story, I think think you're gonna have some really great perspective on this, is one of the concepts I said was in today's world, it's more important to take care of your existing customers than ever, which is kind of what you said before. So the people that chose not only to work with you the first time, but continue to call you and continue to work with you. So why wouldn't you do this? And charge a first time customer one rate, and instead of like all the other cable companies out there, (laughs) charge them for repeat services less. Do something different, appreciate your existing clientele. And appreciating an existing clientele is not a direct mail piece that you get that says, Free service, a free service call or free estimates. No one cares about that stuff anymore. So can you tell me a little bit about like, what should a small business owner that might be watching this do to take care of their current customers? Yeah, but
1: that's a, a, it's it's a, pet peeve of mine and an example that I use frequently is the cable customers who are like, oh, you've been with us for a long time. We're not going to give you this deal. (laughs) It's like, what are you talking about? Like, makes absolutely no sense. Um, I actually have a, a customer loyalty model that I created that has five pillars of customer loyalty. And the challenge with customer loyalty Not that it's difficult, Um, it's kind of simple, but it's difficult to implement, is that different people have different pillars of loyalty and reason why they are, are loyal to your business, and also that loyalty differs by the type of business. So I might be loyal to one business for one reason, but loyal to a different business for another reason, but have one pillar that doesn't meet it, like move me at all. So really quickly, um, those pillars are, you know, premium product or service. So some some people just want the best of breed. Um, you know, I love Microsoft. I have worked with them in the past. If I have a presentation that I have to do, if I have a spreadsheet, like I'm using Excel. I'm not using Google spreadsheets or like one of these free things. And so for for me, like I'm going to be loyal because I need that best of breed product. Um, but for places let's say that I can get like a bunch of the same product in different places I might be loyal for customer service so like I love Nordstrom and when I do I give this is one of my keynotes and I give this talk everywhere everybody always has a Nordstrom story about how somebody from Nordstrom like I had a guy who told me about his son's bar mitzvah where he grew out of his suit the same day and like the the person the salesperson like drove it out to his house like just like crazy stuff Um, So if I'm going to buy something that I can get something similar in a bunch of places like I'm going to buy it at Nordstrom versus, you know, some of these other places so that in that particular case, it's a customer service thing, but somewhere else it's because it's a premium product or service. Um, There's also what I call uh, affinity groups, um, which is basically, you know, do you belong to a group or feel like you're part of a brand? Uh, The opposite of my Microsoft experience is the Mac versus the PC. The people who are Mac people uh, are cultish about Apple and they want to be seen as different than (laughs) the nerdy guy like me uh, who uses the PC. There's also you know people who drive Harleys who have sort of that camaraderie and group because they're Harley riders. So if you have an affinity group, that can create loyalty. Experiences create loyalty. Um, something as simple as Trader Joe's is an experience when you can go grocery shopping. Again, every time I mention Trader Joe's, everybody has a great Trader Joe's story. People hate grocery shopping but love going to Trader Joe's. Of the samples. The samples, the flyer, the experiences, the, the guy who's in the aisle, who if you don't know where something is, they walk you over and tell you about 10 different things they tasted and how much they loved it. Like it's an experience. Um, but Disney World is an experience too. And people are loyal for a different kind of experience. And then there are people who like, there's like just no sort of reason to be loyal to that company. So that company just kind of figures out what's important to you and takes care of you in that relationship and bridges the relationship. And that's why you're loyal. So with that framework, you have to go out to each of your customers, you have to get to know them and you have to know not only what moves them in general, but what moves them in relation to your own business. And if you can do that, that and create that great relationship around those pillars, um, that's where you create loyalty. And the, the, the cool thing for a small business is that you're actually much better set up to do that than a big company is. Uh, because you get a chance and you and your staff get to know customers better than, you know, Microsoft, you know, other, other than the fact that I've worked with them. But like, you know, in general, like they, most of the people <laughs> don't know who I am. Um, so you, it's, it's much easier as a smaller business to create that loyalty and, you know, people are rooting for you and, and want you to succeed. And so doing those things to create loyalty and then engaging them as part of the process is something you can do pretty easily.
0: I think one of the the easiest things you could really do for any small business owner is the experience part of it. It's the customer service and, and, and quite candidly, you've been sharing this con- this concept and idea for years and I've stolen it because I'm a great marketer and that's what I do, I steal great things. <laughs> With from-
1: attribution, I do not take kindly to, to content <laughs> <themes>. <laughs> but the
0: But the idea is every small business owner should treat them as a Disney world or a Disneyland experience. If you go there, you need that they need to know from the moment they get off of the airplane. Just think of Disney world. The moment you get off of the airplane, they have, a, they have a bus that will take you to there free of charge. You go there, everyone's gonna talk to you. Everyone's polite. They have customer service down to a absolute T. So and those, a, the
1: amazing part is that that shuttle actually isn't free of charge. You just don't know that you're paying for it. Oh, so absolutely. That's, absolutely. that's the beauty.
0: Absolutely. But the, but the idea that if you can create, wh- whether you're an HVAC company, uh, a person that sells biscuits or whatever in between, if you can make the experience of phone call to appointment to integration of, of meeting to purchase of a sale. If you can make those things seamless and an exciting and an inviting experience, you have built the influencer because in today's world, that's what we're going after. We are all on social media now. Facebook is the engagement levels are through the roof. We've all seen pretty much the Netflix uh, social experiment movie that was out there of how they track engagement. It's, it's for real. So if you can create that experience, you've created influencers. If you can create influencers, you create an army. If you create an army, you create a brand. If you create a brand, you create income.
1: Love that, love that. And just, I mean, just as something as simple, so let's use the HVAC company, cause like that's you know something that you don't think is sexy. Imagine you're the HVAC company that brings Krispy Kreme donuts every time you go to an appointment. Like, I always want to see, like, oh, like, I feel like there's something going on. Don't we need to call the HVAC company? So easy. And then it's like, did did they bring you donuts? Oh my God, how cool is it? Can you believe, like you said, on Instagram, my HVAC company brought me donuts. Because here's the thing, is that everybody else is just skating by. People are putting out the least amount of effort possible. So it, like you said, you just do that little thing to create that experience and to, to, to deliver that wonderful service. And you just go that extra mile. It doesn't have to be expensive. Krispy Kreme donuts are what? Like less than a buck a piece? Spend 3 to $6. Build it into the cost of you know, what you're selling. That would that's gonna as like I forget who it is, but somebody I know who says like talks about delighting customers. That would delight a customer.
0: Yeah. So I mean, when I when I started my company, a Prime Media Consulting, uh, I had a mission because I, I left my job. I had no customers. I left my job, and I said I need to go get customers fast. I have a wife. I have kids. I need to make money. So uh, what I did was I was unapologetically going to turn heads. And if I turn, if I unapologetically turn heads, I'm going to do something that Moses did. I'm going to part the seas. I'm going to have people that love my brand of crazy and they're going to become my advocates. They're going to become the people that I go after and they're going to accept my brand of crazy and they're going to become my customers. I'm going to get income right away. I'm going to have detractors. I'm going to have people that probably weren't going to buy from me anyways. That say no. I have people, and then what I really have are people on the fence of like, what's he doing? What's going on over there? And they're just peeking over, either waiting for me to fail or waiting to see what if what I say or do works. And and so I always knew that I'm gonna get I need the money, so I'm gonna get the people now to get the customers, get the cash flow coming in to pay for everything else, the MVP to build it up and scale it. But what I have to do is figure out the best possible way to go after the the people on the fence. Cause I'm never gonna get the people that say no anyway, so why bother with them? So I, I feel like most small business owners play a timid game though. They never want to be the person that causes or ruffles feathers. Someone told me a few weeks ago that I am proficient in ruffling feathers. And I said, <laughs>
1: Put it in a kinder way. So I'll, I'll, I'll pay you a, the compliment here is you're willing to take the shot. You're willing to do something uncomfortable that people wouldn't do. You reached out to me. Um, you know, it had been quite some time, uh, since we had connected, you would ask for my time. And there are a lot of people who would like to have me on their show, who wouldn't have the nerve to ask me. And I've been <laughs> told that before, in which case I'm like, you know, why? Uh, and you were willing, you know, to be patient while I can plot it into my calendar. But the willingness to do that and to not talk yourself out of, oh, this person won't want to do this because A, B, and C, how do you know? You haven't asked. It cost you what, like 50 seconds maybe for you to 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 type the LinkedIn note. Um, And it's possible I, you know, wasn't available and would have said no, but then you would ask the next person. And so just the, the willingness to not be talked out of somebody else's narrative like that you've created in your head is huge. It's just insane. Like how many people will just talk themselves out of something that they've never even asked the other person.
0: Well, when, when, when you, I feel like when you do this, I don't know if you agree with this, but like, if you, if you've decided to, um, stick your head out there and, and and call your shot, um, you got to know what game you're playing and you know how to keep the score. I think you've said that before in an interview. I have. And, and, and so, and, and so what, what I would say is, um, so many people are going to watch what you do, whether you are successful at it or fail they're going to watch it right but if you're successful the time that you have to score buckets and and run up that score is very very minuscule because if you become successful you're going to get duplicated and and what and and so what i would say to somebody is or what i would ask you more importantly is what do you say to someone that is just they're, they're waiting, you know, you can, you can tell that they're, they're I wanna I want do it, but I'm not there yet. What do you say to that person?
1: I think it's asking a question is you know, what, what is the roadblock? Like what, why is it that you're waiting? What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for the perfect time? Are you, are you waiting for the perfect day? Are you waiting to lose 10 pounds? Pa- like, what, like what is it? And then what do you think is gonna happen if it doesn't work out? Because those, those two things, like people usually haven't gone through that exercise. Like they're, you know, they have sort of this internal fright thing, but they don't know why. And they haven't really contextualized it. Like, what if you reached out and I wasn't available? Nothing. <laughs> there, there's like literally no downside. You put out an, a LinkedIn message. That's it. And I think we put a lot of people go, oh, okay, yeah, okay. Like, I, I don't know. Like they just, they, they're, they're like in there's a this this kind of like mental ego kind of barrier but they haven't asked themselves the reason like why is it there what am i waiting for and like why am i not just doing this now and then what happens if this just goes wrong usually the downside is nothing Uh, like like nine out of ten times downside nothing
0: yeah to be honest most people have the idea that everyone's watching them and no one gives a shit about you, to be honest
1: That's So it's funny that you were, I was going to say that because you were saying how all these people are watching you fail. And and I was about to say, like, I completely disagree. I don't think anybody's paying any attention. I think we all are like, feel like so much more self-important than we actually are. Nobody knows, nobody cares. Everybody's busy with their own business. Yeah, they may some, say something crappy because they're trolling on, on social media, but they're going to do that no matter what it is that you do. But most people like, even if you put something out over and over again, like I can't tell you the amount of times where somebody is still like my book's been out for like a decade and like, oh, you wrote a book? It's like, yeah, you haven't heard me talk about it like nine million times on social media. And it's like, no, you know, everyone's in their own little world. So unless you create that bridge of, you know, there's a meaning for them, they kind of don't care. I mean, yeah, they'll they'll be jealous if you're successful, but they're not really tracking your every move. Um, and so I, you know, I would spend very little time <laughs> worried about worried what anybody else was thinking, especially if they're not paying you, worry about what your customers are thinking, but you know, unless, unless you're getting uh revenue and, and some sort of return on investment from it, like, I, I don't know why you'd care.
0: So you, you mentioned your book and you said you started your book because you were absolutely pissed off in mm-hmm. the way that small business owners are doing things. So, which immediately turned my head, which again, there's a trend there, turn heads, get noticed, hopefully people buy your book, it's amazing. So the entrepreneurial equation and call it, uh, you call it the world's cheapest business insurance policy. Yes. So without giving away everything in the book, what is one thing that a small business owner must make sure that they have going for them when they enter the business arena? Because make no ifs, ands, or buts about it, when you enter the business arena and you stop being the jobby, and you start going being a, at least a solopreneur, You're going against gladiators and titans yeah, and and they feed all day on people that play it safe.
1: Yeah, no. So in the entrepreneur equation, the focus is really about risk and reward. And I think that the biggest issue for so many business owners is that they're chasing a reward that makes no sense given the risks that they're taking on. And risk is not just financial risk. But it's your time, like where else could you be taking your time? It's the emotional toll and stress personally and on relationships, um, potentially that you are in charge of other people's livelihoods and, and the like. And so if you are not pursuing something where that payoff makes sense, like I just don't know why you're doing it. I, um, I did a small business online show um, for CNBC that was called Don't Quit Your Day Job Yet. And I remember there was a woman who had created these pants that make your butt look better at the gym or something. I saw the video. And and, um, and you know, the, the crazy thing is I looked at her uh, projections and like three years out, like after investing like hundreds of thousands of dollars. She was making like next to nothing. And I'm like, even if your projections worked, which most of the time they don't, this makes no sense. Like this whole thing. And I, that was my, uh, what I told her, I said, I forbid you to to start this business because it's, was just sell your inventory and be done. Because it, when you go and you play out the best possible case scenario, we haven't even discounted that yet, but to play out the best scenario, it still doesn't make any sense that you're gonna end up, you know, wasting just a crap ton of money and a lot of time and a lot of heartache. So you, you've got to get that risk reward equation correct to have your entrepreneur equation correct.
0: So you become a successful business or a relatively successful business, even as a solopreneur, you can be relatively successful. You can feed your family. You can have a comfortable lifestyle, all that type of stuff. But how often do we self-sabotage ourselves? I mean, if, if you really think about you're, do, you're doing well, your ego naturally is going to get play, put into place here. So it starts thinking you're hot shit and you can do nothing wrong because you're, you're doing well, you're becoming successful, or your mind wants to get back to a level of comfort zone because you've never experienced this sort of growth before. And so you and our brains naturally want to be in a level of comfort that you will figure out ways to screw yourself over and self sabotage yourself because you're not used to the unknown. So yeah, I,
1: I, listen. I think that there are different kinds of entrepreneurs. I think they're the kinds that think they're amazing and you know are just kind of nervous about things. There are a lot of entrepreneurs who deal with imposter syndrome where even though they're really good at what they do, for some reason, they don't internally believe it or they think that they just got lucky or they think that they're frauds and they're going to be found out. I mean, that is a huge issue um, with a lot of very successful people, including successful entrepreneurs. And listen, like, I'm not a psychiatrist. Uh, I don't even play one on television. So, you know, that's something you probably want to talk out with somebody who's a little bit more professional. Um, But, you know, the reality is that numbers and paper don't lie and they don't really have feelings. So you might want to take out the narrative and spend more time focused on, you know, what the numbers tell you, like, you know, what is, you know, what's happening with income? What does your growth rate look like? Those kinds of things and kind of leave yourself out of the narrative if that's easier for you. If, you know, if if that's, you're, you're your own worst enemy, then like pretend it's for someone else, take yourself out of it, stay in the more concrete aspects of it. Because it is, I mean, the reality is that most things in life, life are you know, us sabotaging <laughs> stupid shit. So that's kind of, yeah, we, are, we are really the, our own worst enemies and our own best opportunity at the same time.
0: So whether you're a business owner in Deerfield, Illinois, Crystal Lake, Illinois, or Marietta, California, if you're a small business owner, you get inundated with people that want your money. So whether they're salespeople or they're people saying, hey, you want to sponsor a baseball team or participate in this or participate in this. Um, what should a business do uh, or be great at doing to, to learn how to say no to those type of people? Or, um, or what do you think they should be great at doing when they get approached by those people?
1: All right. So there's two steps to this. The so first is the um, evaluation, because sometimes it makes sense, you know, just because you don't know the person doesn't mean that it's not a good opportunity. So you need to know the difference between ROI versus ROE. ROI is return on investments. If I make this investment, what do I expect to get back? How am I going to measure it? ROE is return on ego. That's a bunch of people liked my post. They're never going to buy from me, but I feel like I'm really popular now. That doesn't pay your rent. That doesn't grow your business. It may seem lovely in the world, but it's a good ego boost. But you're going to make no money from it. So you need to know the difference. Am I doing this for ROI, or am I doing this for ROE purposes? If you're not getting the right ROI, and it's for ROE, or it's just stupid, because sometimes it's not either. Sometimes it's just the third option, which is it's just dumb. Uh, the best way to say no is to say no. I'm sorry that doesn't work for me. I'm that, that, sorry, it's not a fit. Do not give an answer. Do not justify it. Do not give a lengthy song and dance. Do not think about it. Nobody is deserving of an entire play about what it is that makes sense, which by the way, you're probably making up anyway. It's okay to just say, it's not a fit. Thank you. Appreciate you thinking of me.
0: For the the marketing people that may hear this, my favorite no is, I just don't know. I don't know if you, I can handle all the business that you're going to bring me. I'm like, what a backhanded compliment is that? <laughs> so I, I guess the, the question I would have is, is, as a business owner, you really have two distinct differences of if you're going to spend money on something. What is branding and what is lead generation? So, I mean, branding, I would I think you would agree is like billboards and radio and TV, you're creating that need. And there's other things that are more lead generation that they already have the need. They're just trying to facilitate who to go to. That could be Google or Facebook or Home Advisor or or even the phone books that were back in the day. Like, as a business owner, is there a is there a is there a formula that someone should be part of? Or, yeah. Okay. There,
1: there is, but it varies by industry. Okay. So the you know, the amount that you should be spending on awareness versus you know direct something that's going to lead to direct dollars completely varies by what industry. The way a restaurant is going to spend that versus an accountant, and it also depends you know how important branding is in your particular good or service. So that's where you should look. To comparable companies, you should ask competitors if there are publicly traded companies. You should see what the big guys are doing and understand you might not have the same budget, but on a percentage basis, that if you see they're all in the same amount, like oh, we're, they're generally spending this you know amount on marketing and this you know amount on advertising, that you can get that kind of, of feedback. What that right amount, or you can ask a, a digital marketing expert like yourself to say what are you seeing for someone you know who's like us. Uh, because there is a right answer or at least a benchmark that makes sense, uh, where you can expect a return, but totally different that like, there, there are certain businesses like my accountant makes absolute, like he should spend $0 on branding. Cause he's been part of nine different accounting firms. And like, I have no, like, it's like a bunch of letters. I don't even remember which one he's at. I have to go look up like, what, like, are you still this one? Is this still your, like, I have no idea but I'm there because of my accountant. And so that's where he needs to be focused. Like the the awareness makes no difference. Um, But there are some types of products and services where you do need to have that awareness. You need to see that for a long time before somebody's going to make a purchase, especially if it's a bigger purchase. So it just really depends. And that's where you need to, to seek out your industry associations, your competitors, uh, publicly available information and the like, to figure out as a percentage of you know, every dollar of revenue, you know, where, should, where should I be?
0: I feel like um, when it comes to lead generation or branding, you have to, I guess, think of very few people care who you are. People, people care about what you can do for them. And, and what I think you coined this phrase too, or I heard it from somewhere, but I'm pretty sure I heard it from you is everyone's favorite radio station is WIIFM. What's in it for me.
1: That's, an, that's another Carolism. I actually don't even know if I created that or if I heard that from someone, but I've been using that for a long time.
0: <laughs> so well, we both created it. I'm, it I'm, glad,
1: I'm glad it stuck with you though. That's absolutely a, that's a
0: I re- I retain good people's information. Good. <laughs> so, so I guess the question I would have for people is, is if you think that people first and foremost care about what's in it for them, you need to explain whether it's in your direct mail piece or it's your website or whatever, what is it going to be for them? What's my unique selling proposition? What's going to get me the opportunity to get the lead. And, and so as the business owner, you really should, in my opinion, maybe it's just because of the industry I'm in. Who knows? But I feel like lead generation is paramount because, first of all, you don't make anything until you sell something, and you can't brand anything. You can brand yourself to bankruptcy, is if if you don't if you don't have cash flow coming in. And so that's what I I would say as a small business owner, especially from what I, my research is, most small business owners, solopreneurs, usually spend between five hundred and two thousand dollars a month on their marketing efforts. And so if you're within that realm, you have to make the decision of what is a branding tool? What's going to be, if the, if the back of the baseball jerseys is great, and that's something that's going to make me money, fantastic. Or is it better spent something that's actually going to provide me a phone call? And I think small, small, small business owners, because they're timid, they're worried about feelings. And so they try different things that they're Uh, worried that that that, that might not make sense for them, or they're they're unafraid to cut the cord on something that's not working because the fear of the unknown of what if I do something different.
1: Right. And also, I mean, if you have relationships, you invest in the lead gen, you can make more revenue and then you can have a small pot of like, things I know aren't going to make me any money, but I do it because I feel good and I want to support the community, which you may know that sponsoring the kids basketball team or whatever it is, isn't going to get you a dime, but you want to be involved in your community. And that's a good thing. And so you just put that in your budget and go, this is like, you know, screwball community building whatever money. And I'm just good. I know this is like my good deed. And that's great. That's part of being a business owner. You get to make those decisions. The problem comes when you do, you're you not actually making those decisions proactively, they're happening to you. So it's, you have to know that, that you're doing this intentionally and here's my solid budget. And once it's exhausted for the year, like, you know, we're back to no.
0: So I, I feel like we live in a, in a microwave society where if you start a business and it's not successful in the first six months, or you're, you're seeing six months of, of just low valleys of of, of revenue growth. Um, A lot of people just write off the business owner. They write off their own business. They just say, I'm gonna try something different. It doesn't really help that we're in a pandemic where you're in your house uh, all the time, alone to your own thoughts and self doubts. So what would you say to the business owner who's kind of struggling right now?
1: Three years, three years to build a foundation for your business. That's the, the appropriate runway. That's what you should plan for. That's how much money you should have. If you don't, that's how you you have to scrounge and figure out how you're gonna cut expenses and stay alive until you can resurrect. But it's a three-year trajectory and that's pretty much across the board. Even if you're Oprah, when she started her own network, it took her three years and she had more money and contacts and friends than any of us. So three years.
0: So because we've had the engagement of social media so much higher in the year 2020, um, the need for Facebook ads versus free marketing on Facebook, which is Facebook groups and community pages. I feel like we've talked, uh, there's, there's big business owners who are trying to be small. There's small business owners that are trying to be big. I think the one competitive edge that a small business owner has is they can go into the local Deerfield community page, the local Cary community page, McHenry community page, whatever it is, and they can be the local presence. Larger companies can't compete with that. Larger yep. companies don't have the time or the manpower to be, to, to really be small, which is what they're trying to do with all the, you know, Chipotle is doing just the drive through nows. They're doing, they're trying to figure out ways to be small business and get things more done efficiently. You have, as a small business owner, the capability to dominate your local marketplace. You and do. you don't have to spend a dime doing it. And so what I, I don't know if you would agree with this, but I feel like the, the untapped resource by many business owners is the local community pages on Facebook that doesn't cost you anything, but can yield you a great return on investment, whether it's community clout, whether it is becoming the expert in your industry, in that community, or someone saying, hey, I'm looking for a plumber, I'm looking for a heating contractor, who do you recommend you have the opportunity to now be that person that they recommend because they've seen you in the local community.
1: I think I mean, listen, this is your domain. I'm very much of everyone staying in their expert domain lane, and from you know, a loyalty um, building standpoint, you know that makes a, a ton of sense to me, and uh, it is very sort of resonant with everything I do. And Alice, I know we're running very short on time here, but I did want to show you one thing. I'm going to awesome. Show you behind me. Just not to make you totally jealous, but since you were talking about the action figure, I just wanted to to show it here. I, so I, can see in the I, box. I
0: do like it. I do like it. I think it's cool. <laughs> and, you-
1: at, and at this point, uh, if you're trying to get one, I think uh, there's some folks who have them on eBay. Oh,
0: nice. Okay. <laughs> you know what's going to happen is I'm probably going to buy one on eBay, and then I'm going to you, send you a picture with me having it.
1: I love it.
0: I love it. <laughs> so I have, I have two more questions because I know you're incredibly busy and I appreciate the time that you kind of gave me here. Uh, you said that, you know, in 2021 being here, it's you said that a small business owner, you have no, you no longer have the luxury of not being a marketer.
1: No.
0: And as someone who owns a marketing company, honestly, I have a, 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 having a national recognized person saying that just punch in the face, brutal honesty, it's a breath of fresh air. Why do you think most people aren't? Why do you think that is the hole up? And how do we kind of get over it?
1: I can speak for my own um, limitations and, and having to learn this ugly truth is I, I have that like, oh, I don't like to bother people kind of thing. <laughs> I'm also an introvert, strangely enough, everyone thinks with my personality, I'm an extrovert, but like, I'm super happy to just be left alone and not interacting with anyone ever. Um, so, you know, it's just a personality thing. I think that there are some people who enjoy that connection and some people who don't. And there are unfortunately a lot more people who don't. Plus, it's, you know, it's a discipline and it's one of those things if you haven't learned that discipline um, and you, you, you aren't willing to commit to doing those things on a regular basis, you're not going to be successful. And then when people aren't successful at things, they don't like them because they failed and, you know, you end up in that whole cycle. Uh, but the reality is, you know, it's not 1970 anymore. Um, everything that you know, possibly exists out there exists. Uh, even if it's not a direct exact replica of what you do it's pretty close there are lots of choices nobody needs anything really so you're competing for a lot of mind share and it's actually with all the tools we have and all the connectivity I've said before it's actually harder to get people's uh, attention because there is because it's so much easier for you to reach people it's easier for everyone else to reach people and people are taking advantage of that so i think that's why you really need to focus on that marketing discipline you need to be working like people with people like yourself alex um and you need to be very intently focused on your existing customers and also be willing to do the things that work i think there's so many people when they see things like marketing and advertising they feel like they have to do x because it's like the hot thing or it's what everyone is doing, or they heard from somebody they need to be doing something. But like, if you look at your customers and you go like, how did we get these customers? Like, what are the things that we did? Like, how did they come in? Um, If you don't know, find that out. And Once you find that out, like group them in and you notice like, oh, well, we've gotten like 70% of our customers this way. Do more of that. That works. You've seen that it works continue to do that don't be like oh okay well now we're gonna go like you know fly a plane with something behind like no if it's working just do more of what works like there's an infinite amount of people out there um much bigger than your existing business in most cases so like keep doing the things that work i know it it, it sounds so simple but again it's like this basic blocking and tackling stuff is what most small business owners don't do. And it's none of this is rocket science. It's just doing it, just doing
0: it. I feel like you said, you said something interesting that most things have pretty much been developed or created, right? Why not just find something that works really well, but has some things that need to be updated and tweaking, and just start a business that does that. Improve on something that is already proven to be successful and you can create a whole another world people are like i've always wished that was there fill that void yeah i mean the people always want like like oh what's like something
1: new and different and educating people on something new and different is really expensive and usually the company that educates people aren't the ones that are successful um google was not the first search engine you know you, you had asked jeeves and uh netscape and all yeah. these other things out there um Yeah, there's a reason why those companies, they stepped up all their money educating people on search engines and browsers and things like that. And then other tech companies came in and uh, said, we're gonna do it better. So if there's a way to do it better and to solve a problem in a better way, definitely go down that path.
0: And eventually you'll have people that you turn heads, they wonder what you're doing and then they're gonna figure it out. And And they're gonna be the ones that become successful. Just like we talked about with Google, just like we talked about with other people that will duplicate your efforts if you're a small business owner. So I got one more question for you because I, I know your time is limited and I respect your time that you gave, gave me to talk. So 2021 is here now. It's the new year. It's the year of the bull, I think actually uh, for the Chinese new year. <laughs> um, so
1: Hopefully it's not a year of a lot of bull. <laughs>
0: yeah, true. Uh, so usually in a, in a new year, it's all of us kind of turn the page it's new thought process. We all have resolutions, all that type of stuff going on. As a small business owner that might be watching this, what is the thing that they need to have their mindset going in for the new year?
1: Whatever your goal is, triple it. Right now, right off the bat, just triple like whatever. And, and I can't tell you what your goal is because you're all in business for a different reason. It doesn't necessarily have to be financial, Like whatever it is. But but like put it up by a scope of three. So like whatever you're going to push yourself towards, triple it. Because the reason is, if you get halfway there, you're still going to be 50% ahead of where you were had you not done that. So you want to triple whatever your goals are. You know, as tangible as you can make them, that's the best way to do it. And measuring goals is one of the best ways to become successful. It's why it's much easier to lose weight than it is to maintain weight. It's why people in the Olympics continue to break world records. It's not because necessarily everybody's performance is always like that much better than it was, you know, 20 years ago. It's because it's just easier to get a little bit better when you know what you're shooting for. And so having something that is measurable is huge for success. And tripling it ensures that, like, as I said, if you fall on your face by 50%, you're still going to be 50% ahead of where you would have been anyway.
0: Thank you so much for your time. If people want to know more about Carol Roth, I'm going to tell you two things. One, carolroth.com. The blogs are amazing. Go to the website, read as many as you can. Contribute as many at times as you can. And the other thing is pick up the entrepreneur equation it's on amazon you can buy it she literally is one of the top industry influencers by small business trends i looked at like 10 years in a row pretty much it's crazy (laughs) how much value this person has to any small business owner and the things that she just gives you as an opportunity for content and more importantly she's a chicago girl so if uh, if you really want the no-nonsense face, real talk, straightforward business owner mentality, she's definitely one to listen to. So thank you for your time. I really do appreciate it. I, I'm very thankful that I took the step to reach out to you after it's been years that we've talked. And I look forward to, um, to, to reading more about your journey in, in the future.
1: Thank you. And I will also plug a couple other things if you don't mind, because I am a marketer. um linkedin gives you the opportunity to follow me um so if you follow when i post things that'll show up in your feed i have a new book that has not been announced yet but relates to small business that will be coming out in 2021 so keep an eye out for that for sure um twitter if you have only if you have a twisted sense of humor if you do not do not come to follow me on twitter but if you do twitter at Carol Roth. And then you had mentioned in the beginning um, our legacy and wishes planning system, FutureFile. That's at futurefile.com. And this is a mission-based business that I developed after losing several loved ones, including my father, who created the prototype for my sister and I. And you know, whether you are somebody who is aging yourself, or you have a family member who's aging, or you just don't want to end up like Tony Shea of Zappos without a will in a tragic situation, Uh, It's really important to have your information and your wishes organized, not just financial, social media accounts, where to find um, important things. Do you have a will? Do you have powers of attorney if you get in an accident? And we're under $100. So futurefile.com, we have a software, we have a kit, but please take a step to protect your family.
0: Fantastic. So thank you again for your time. I truly, truly do appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. Thank you. (laughs) Let's <laughs> go.